This is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Jacob Burton Jancic. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Jacob Bertrand, here we are in mm-hmm. the bleak midsummer. It's like the bleak midwinter, except it's different because the bleakness comes not so much from the snow as it does from the heat, which puts a kind of patina of sweatiness, which is like precipitation on all surfaces. So your thoughts on navigating this summer in particular, any highs and lows of this, the sweatiest season of the year? Well, I think it's been the sweatiest summer of my life. <laughs> Looking back, reflecting on the amount of work my body did to perspire, mm. gold medal. Yeah. Um, we started with our little stroll in Spain. Mm-hmm. Sweaty. That was a sweaty stroll. We then, I moved and sweaty. <laughs> and then we had retreats in New York, sweaty. <laughs> so it's it's been a warm summer, Yeah. Um, but I'm just, I'm so grateful for that. That's so, yeah. But now that I'm now that I live in the in the Great White North, mm. my window of being hot and uncomfortable is much smaller than when living in DC. So, here's to that. <laughs> so count your blessings instead right. of sheep, as Bing Crosby once said. That's right. Um, I recently learned the French word for to sweat, which is transpire, which to us is transpire. Like, yeah, transpire. I think that's right. Maybe it's wrong. Um, regardless, I'm going to go with it. And um, I was shocked and appalled because it doesn't sound like what I would expect. But I suppose the word sweat is an especially Anglo-Saxon word. It starts with a sw- and ends with a t. So it's kind of got like a yeah. But I feel like that communicates adequately the experience. Yeah. Because when people ask us, you know, like, does it get hot in the habit? My usual <laughs> my go-to response is your core t- temperature adjusts, which I don't think that's actually true. It's probably not true, right? So, um, yeah, but I've been feeling it more and more and more. It's coming with age. <laughs> yeah, when people ask me, is it hot in the habit? My usual, like, polite response is like, well, if you're hot, I'm hot. But then in my mind, I go through a whole list of, like, ten ways that I'm actually hotter and more mm-hmm. uncomfortable than you. But if I say that out loud, I don't earn the merit. And it's right. all about, it's like, it's like Pokemon Go with merit. Yes, I was thinking it's all about the Grace Benjamins baby, but... Maybe that... They're two different games. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Perfect. Well, uh, for this episode, we thought that we would talk about the synodal way because it's a thing that we have been talking about in the church for the past maybe year and a half and we'll continue to talk about in the church for the next year and a half. Um, So yeah, maybe let's start just impressionistically with the lay of the land. What's the synodal way? How is it unfolding? Yeah. Basic sketch. Yeah. That's, you know, you ask... (laughs) The, what, $500,000 question, the million-dollar question. So, confession, yeah. at the top of our episode on the Synodal Way, I, I have a habit of not paying attention to what's happening in the universal church. And I don't say that because, like, we're doing an episode and, and I'm going to say, I have nothing to say on this. That's not true. <laughs> I always have something to say on everything. Um, but I say that because I think even those of us who are who are paying attention, like I think of Father Patrick, you know, this is what he does. He yeah. writes news stuff on what's happening in Rome and the church at large. Um, I think he's too a bit confused. And I, yeah, the the whole, I think people are just kind of like, what does that mean? What is that? Um, so that's just a sort of, we're in it together. We're trying to figure it out together. I think those who are kind of creating the process are also trying to figure it out together mm-hmm. as they go. But at least generally, the, the whole idea of synod, uh, I guess by definition, is a way by which to get people together to talk about a particular topic. And in this, 
Um, I think in like the most charitable read, it's a it's a way to engage sort of the new evangelization to look at like, okay, where is the church in what years of 2022? Um, how is the church like working, functioning? And let's, I guess, in a way, this is kind of a politicized way of saying it or a political way of saying it, but like, let's hear from our constituents too at various levels through the church. So the way this sort of synod is being set up is over these couple years, um, the various levels of the church from the universal to the diocesan level, parish level, universities, these sort of things are taking time to sort of look at how the church is engaging um, the gospel in the world and then how, I guess, people's reflections, thoughts on that. So that's super general, but yeah, you you probably have a bit more to say. No, I think uh, the kind of places where you begin, namely that in the universal church, it seems there's a bit of confusion. And then also that this fits within unknown category in the church are both super helpful places at which to begin. Because I think there's an instinct on the part of Catholic media. I don't necessarily know if this is true of Father Patrick, so I'll leave him to the side. Probably not true of Father Patrick. He's a great guy with great skills. Mm. He doesn't do bad things. Um, so uh, when, when something confusing comes out, you know, from the Vatican or from the local bishop or from whoever in, in ecclesial life, there's a kind of tendency on the part of maybe some people who write articles online or people who make comments on podcasts or people who say whatever things to immediately go into defense mode and say, okay, this is not in contradiction to the faith. This is, you know, this can be reconciled with the church's tradition. This can be squared in this way because we have this care, concern, solicitude as Catholics that we not break with true doctrine, that we not rupture the tradition because that's part and parcel of our identity. But as a result of which, when we're always saying like, oh, this is normal or this is in keeping or this blah, 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 we end up gaslighting our, mm. our own church and saying like, you shouldn't feel upset because this is all of a piece. It's like, no, 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 it's, it's okay to feel upset because I think a lot of us feel a bit confused about the process and where the process is heading. So I think that's a great place to start. And then when it comes to the synod, I think it's helpful to approach it within this kind of traditional setting. All right, we've had synods before. And a lot of documents that we're familiar with from the last, you know, 25 years are post-synodal apostolic exhortations. The church got together, discussed an issue. You know, you think in the case of Pope Benedict and Verbum Domini, where they got together, they talked about the sacred scriptures. He published this document, super helpful for the church's meditation in life. So we're, we're doing something like that. So it's a synod, which I think comes from the Greek prefix, which means with or together, and then the Greek word, which means like way or road. So it's, it's a way of being on the way together more deliberately or intentionally. So it's okay, you know, like it's it's completely natural to feel confused. And then on the other hand, we have to make an attempt to reconcile this with the church's tradition while acknowledging that it's confusing. Yeah. Know your thoughts there? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. Great. Uh, one of the things I think that adds to the confusion, at least this time with this synod, is that it's a synod on synodality. It's like a snake eating its own tail. It's like, I don't know what it like. We're going to talk about talking about things. Um, so it gets to be a little meta for me. Yeah. Um, and I, I imagine that's the case with a lot of people who just aren't like, you know, just like trying to live the faith and follow Christ. It's like, well, what are we talking about talking about? Because that's we're talking about talking about. So yeah. how are we going to talk about talking about things? Um, and what does that mean and that sort of thing? So in a sense, there, I, yeah, I agree with what you say. Um, and like, for myself, I have to encourage myself to be patient, to be patient with with the process of like, okay, we're talking about talking about things. That's in itself, maybe not the worst thing. I, I'm more kind of an action item kind of guy where it's like, here's my checklist. Let's go do it rather than talk about doing it, which that kind of is where it feels for me right now. But I have, we'll talk about this in a little bit. I know that 
um, I I was talking to a university student that I know, um, and he mentioned that on campus they had a couple synodal meetings about this on like that, you know, super local level. And I was kind of hypercritical about it. Uh, And just the idea of that, it's like, don't, whatever. Um, But he found it to be like super helpful. And we'll, yeah, we'll talk about this, but like an opportunity just to kind of like be part of the conversation in the church on the local level where he's involved. So I do think they're like, as you've kind of outlined, at least traditionally, but also uh, instantially in this circum in this instance, instantially in this instance, it's like syn- it's synod on the synodality. Uh, <laughs> there are benefits that hopefully will come, but I think we also have to be cautious, and we're going to talk about that too. Yep. So yeah, there's there's doing, and then there's talking about doing, and then there's talking about talking about potentially doing. So the more remote you are from the doing, I think um, the more what would one say? The more you feel like you're kind of drifting from mm-hmm. the heart of the matter. So not to say that we as human beings are just like machines or robots or animals for that matter. We have an interior life. We're able to reflect upon big ticket items and then to perfect our approach. So it's good, you know, to do, to think about doing, to think about, think about doing. But as you said, like as you get more and more meta, I think it becomes more confusing. Like what exactly is going on? So yeah, maybe we just summarize a little bit the process and then uh, describe some difficulties that we have to acknowledge and then confront and then ways in which we can make a constructive approach. So lay of the land, you have these conversations, most of which have already happened, the particular kind of local conversations. And then that data is collated and sifted at a regional level. So if you think about this at the level of the church, you know, so you have parishes and then other, you know, ecclesial communities, whether those be lay or clerical or religious, and they're all invited to take input. So we had it in our convent in uh, Freeburg, and then it was at the university there as well. There were opportunities in which we could participate. And then, you know, so then it goes next to the diocesan level, and then maybe even to the metropolitan level, and from there to the universal church. Uh, Certainly the pandemic has complicated the process because part of being on the way is having the experience, you know, Camino experience of being on the way, and it's difficult to do so at a distance, uh, especially with all the strictures that were in place. Um, But I think that there's, there's still some energy if, even if that energy is waning or um, kind of limping towards the consummation of the process as we anticipate this upcoming year and in the United States as it corresponds with this Eucharistic revival. I think like, you know, there's something there that remains as yet to be fully done <laughs> and talked about being done. All right, so um, difficulties. I, I, we, we mapped out three in anticipation of the conversation. One would be, it, will my voice be heard? Do they want to hear my voice? And will this ever work? So I don't know if there's a particular one that you want to touch on first, one that kind of uh, resonates with you yeah well we'll follow that order because you put it that way which is <laughs> <laughs> just fine i didn't have one that sort of jumped out at me but this is where i particularly shine is looking at somebody else's work and critiquing it so i'm happy with any of them really you know great let's go for it so like will my voice be heard um that's that's the proposal of the synod as as we've said the synod on synodality that or maybe we didn't say directly but that the idea um and this is something yeah, I think that the church needs to to work out as to exactly like how, why, what, how is um, sort of checking the temperature of of everybody in the church and getting their personal reflections on where the the church is. In my in my mind, um, to be a sort of uh, yeah, I don't. In some ways, the, I think the danger here is that um, it's like going to a medical conference when you invite a bunch of patients and ask them for their reflection on how to practice medicine. Um, it can become that. So there, there's sort of a hesitation there in, in the question of like, will my voice be heard? Um, 
well why it's because like well how you know mm-hmm. will will my voice be heard um in the sense that like is there room for my voice be to be heard not even in the i mean sometimes we have a conversation and you wonder is that person listening and that's kind of like the question will my voice be heard if i'm speaking up is somebody listening but also like is there the like the space in the church hierarchy for um for like college students to kind of comment on how like rome is doing mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean my answer is no but the but like there are other levels that like yes um when like when a campus ministry at a university is set up to serve the 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 students there it makes sense that like it, you're as as a, cha- a chaplain isn't just like a, a sort of dispenser of things like you have to engage with human beings and if you don't know the human beings then you can't actually preach and minister to them like christ knew the apostles he knew those he was preaching to so i think there is a space um but then it's the question like will that be heard within the grand like i'm at a college campus in this synodal kind of way and then as you mentioned it goes up all these levels does it get lost so my my kind of critical response there is probably like probably not Let, like let's just be real about it probably not um on a universal level um on a local level probably so i think we have to manage expectations there of like are you going to get an is one person going to get an audience with the pope to sort of address the synodality of synods and synodality no but can you have real conversations like in your local um in your local community and expect that to be heard i would sure hope so because the church operates and this is where i think kind of sometimes we we run into issues like difficulties here or frustrations because the church operates on a on a principle of um, subsidiarity that like you allow the lower levels to take care of themselves but for when they need take to be taken care of from a higher level right so the pastor of a parish is the pastor of his parish the bishop is not the pastor the pope's not the pastor the bishop runs his diocese the pope doesn't run the diocese um so the looking at it in those terms i think yeah on our local levels great and that'll be filtered up and i think as it gets filtered up and broader obviously what we say has has less of an influence but here it's kind of a management of expectations so in one way yes in one way no and i think that's okay yeah so yeah i think apropos of you know subsidiarity there's a sense in which right we should love the local church with a particular kind of love right because we love those things which are nearest and dearest to us we love the members of our family we love our friends more than we love random people whom we haven't met in sub-saharan africa and that's not because our love for them is insufficient it's just because they don't pertain to our good in the same way or with the same you know familiarity intimacy however you want to describe it and so i think that our love for the church is similar right there's there's a difference there insofar as the universal church has a claim on us in a way in which like the kind of vague or otherwise um yeah abstract common good of humanity doesn't um but i think that yeah just to kind of invest in the local church with that expectation and like you said you know you have a habit of not paying too terribly much attention to what transpires in the universal church and i think that when we are tapped into media on a daily basis and are looking almost exclusively at the church on that level, our, our, our mind can drift in that direction and kind of pull our heart with it away from the local church. So we feel a kind of dread. We feel a kind of despair. And then the other thing, apropos of the comment that you made, like, does your voice matter? Yes, no, hard to say. Um, I think that uh, we have to be able to distinguish among equalities okay so we're not all just equal full stop we're equal and then we have to clarify in what sense like by virtue of our common human nature you know we're made to the image and likeness of god we have a common dignity but when it comes to participating in conversations of you know like the church not like that pertain to ecclesial life we have different competences we have different experiences right we have different involvement 
And I think that that has to be reflected in the way in which the data is collected and collated. Because if you, uh, you know, like 45 year church going Catholic with seven kids, all of whom you've put through religious education, you taught religious education, you're hosting about blah, blah, blah. Okay. And you hear that Pope Francis is especially solicitous to include non-Catholics in the conversation. You know, it can be like a little bit bewildering. It's like, why? You know, like what ministry to the margins or beyond the margins, but like, what about ministry to the heart of the church? You know, like some people can feel passed over and left out. Right. But I think that, yeah, the point here is to recognize that, you know, the spin isn't always going to reflect the love that abides at the center, but that we in our relationships have to have some space for that in the way in which we host these conversations. So then the next is, um, yeah, maybe do, do they want to hear my voice? And here the concern is that the way that the conversation is introduced, sometimes it sounds like we're looking to change things when there isn't necessarily respect for how things are and how that's good. Um, so yeah, maybe, I don't know if you have particular thoughts on that theme that you want to lead with. Yeah, I guess the way I've been talking about things here is my hypercritical and then like peppering it back with like a dose of reality. So my hypercritical kind of um, comment, like, do they want to hear my voice is... Um, Sometimes I think when we invite like big conferences or synods or like large scale, like global conversations about things, um, the, where those who are organizing and involved, whoever that might be, um, are very quickly confronted with, with the reality that like we can't listen to one billion Catholics. So let's set our agenda and we'll work in the listening to what we've already set as our agenda. So that that does worry me a bit. And not just with this process, but like with large scale conversations that we are invited, you know, to be part of the conversation, even though the agenda and the end, like it's already been decided what what we want to accomplish by these conversations. So we'll invite conversations so as to allow people to feel as if they've participated. But, you know, statistics can be wildly manipulated. So it's to serve our purposes. So that's my critical kind of thing. Do I think that's like the intentions of, of what's going on? I, I don't think, I don't have any reason to directly think that. Um, but it's like the question, like, do they want to hear my voice? Um, I think I have to say again, yes and no. Like, does, are those who are organizing the synod in Rome thinking like, I want to hear the voice of some American college student on the East Coast. Like, I need to hear that in order to better serve the, like, if you do, that's foolish. It's a waste of time to think like in order for me as a bishop of a dicastrian Rome, I need to hear one billion opinions on this. It's like, that's just impractical. You can't do that. So in that sense, no, I don't think they want to hear your voice. But again, on the local level, is there a desire that like those at this university or in this parish should be heard by their chaplain or pastor or their bishop in the diocese? I think so. I think on that level, yes. So again, it's a subsidiarity. It's this locality, as you were describing. Um, it's just, again, a management of like expectation of like, where can my voice be heard? Who should I expect to want to listen to me? Like maybe your pastor, probably not the Pope of Rome uh, or the Bishop of Rome. You know, like it's just like, and that's not because Pope Francis or those running these things are malicious men in this respect, but because it's just like, it's not a reality to think that everyone can have an hour to sit down with the Pope. So that's just what it is. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, I think too, it's helpful in this setting to address, okay, here we are in the church, in the ecclesial life, and there's, a, there's an ambient culture that's just, it's pressing against the church. And if we're honest, it wants to swallow the church whole. And that makes a lot of people nervous because the conversation as to how the church relates to the modern world, that conversation is ongoing. It's been a conversation that we've raised 
since time immemorial. You can think about St. Augustine's contribution to the city of God. But most recently, we think about Gaudium et Spes and some of the council fathers who are chiming in as to how open we ought to be and what we can expect to gain from or what we can expect to contribute to. And sometimes, yeah, it's sometimes the way that the question is framed can make us think that, okay, like maybe there's, you know, maybe there's a desire for like a revolutionary spirit to be cultivated here. Or maybe there's a desire for, um, yeah, like a kind of, what would you say, like a spirit of tinkering with or blah, blah, blah. So I think that it's, it's for us to frame the question. It's for us to receive the question uh, in a way that's, that corresponds to the church's tradition. It's like, okay, so the church has an identity and a mission, and that's not going to change right? We can better understand it. We can better receive it. We can better appropriate it as Christians. And I think that those have, like those conversations are more fruitful because mm-hmm. if we say like, I'm struggling with this sin, so I want the church to embrace this sin, then that's, that's not a real, it's <laughs> like a fairy tale, right? I mean, it's just a weird fairy tale. It's a fairy tale that ends with, well, like all Grimm's fairy tales, like dead children. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's terrible. And so I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of our responsibility, even if we feel like there's a lot of spin, the ambient culture is coming for us, and maybe some of that is reflected in the way that the questions are posed to us, right? We can still bring to it our reception of the church's identity and mission, you know, within the setting of her tradition. All right, so last one, will this ever work? I guess, uh, yeah, maybe my initial thoughts are, I think a lot of people look to the German church in the synodal way and like votes that are taken about you know, do we still need the priesthood? Maybe not. You know, like, do we still need traditional marriage? Probably not. You know, it's like, ah, it's kind of terrifying. And I think uh, for, for those of us who watch it from a distance, it's um, it's nerve wracking to think that this might come for us as well. But but also, you know, I think that we've kind of wended our way towards these types of um, determinations. But that doesn't mean that it's going to, f- you know, it's going to fail, right? Because if we consign ourselves to a certain determinism, then we just reap the harvest of what we've sown. So like you've stressed the local level, I don't know if further thoughts on that particular ways in which it can succeed. Yeah, I guess I'll follow my same pattern here. My question would be, or the question that I have, and I think the whole episode, I've kind of made clear that like, I'm not really sure what's going on. Like, and this is at the heart of the matter. Like, will this ever work? Like, will what ever work? What's the, in my mind, it's like, what's the end goal of a universal synod on synodality? I get a synod on like reading the scriptures, the sacred, well, English, reading the sacred scriptures, you know, like, because we want to better, but like to be, have a conversation about having better conversations. Well, it's like about what to accomplish what, like, what are these conversations aimed at? So I think that that makes me not uncomfortable, but just kind of like, Say more, please. And I think that's, I imagine that's where a lot of people are. Um, at least that's what I've, I don't really talk about the Synod a lot. And I don't hear a lot of people talking about the Synod. I, you know, people talk about other things much more in the church. But when those conversations do come up, um, there always seems to be an air of like, like, what is the, what will the document look like that comes out from, like, what is it going to say? What is it trying to teach us? So in my mind, perhaps there is an agenda, like, and I'm just ignorant of it. That very well could be the case. It probably is. Um, but the, to answer the question, like, will this work? Will we accomplish the end? I, I need to know what the end is, you know, and then judge the means by which we're, you know, so like are all of these meetings and conversations at different levels of the church, are those the appropriate means to accommodate and, and accomplish the end? So I just, I don't know. And that's not a saying, that's not me saying, put it, burn it all down. It's just like, I just don't know, which is fine. I, I don't think that's a bad position to hold. I could do probably more research and be more invested. I, I just don't know. But I think that's where a lot of people kind of are with it's kind of a wishy-washy thing. And like you brought up at the beginning, like the pandemic has also like changed our whole encounter and engagement with this. So it's just kind of a, I guess we'll see. Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. For um, the end of the episode, we thought we'd just 
highlight some opportunities, you know, amidst these challenges that we've outlined, but some opportunities in which we can grow personally as, you know, a member of a group of friends, as a member of a family, as a member of a local parish uh, within this setting, right? So obviously we're looking to grow as Catholics every day of every week, of every month, of every year. Um, but on account of the fact that we're having this conversation about having conversation, we're having the synod about synodality, there's a kind of intensity or there's a kind of urgency to the discussion as to how we contribute better, right? Which is to say like more docilely to the church's tradition, but also more engagedly in the church's evangelical mission. So maybe, yeah, I don't know if you have particular thoughts, just thinking about the role that we occupy in the body of Christ and how the synod on synodality might be an occasion to which to do so more. Yeah, one of the... Um uh well i'll start i'll start my thought by saying this in in sort of the wake of the the various priest scandals that that have come out over the last 15 20 years um one of the things you know obviously unfortunately people have left the church over that um and in a way i can understand that frustration and that hurt and that pain all of that but uh a priest um Someone asked, I was at some talk and someone asked a question about like, well, how do we respond? Like, how do we, what do we do? Uh, and the response from that priest is become saints. Mm. Like holiness reforms the church. Because if you look through history, this, is, this isn't something new. You know, you look through history and where every time the church has been reformed, it's not by exiting and it's not by, uh, to poke fun at the synod, it's not by sitting down and having a conversation. It's by being holy. That doesn't exclude conversations, of course, but it's by pursuing Christ, it's by pursuing virtue. It's the saints are the ones who reform the church, and I think that's that's if if that's what um, if that's what we're getting at by like, I I think the idea of the synod is to like listen and to have have a broader swath of people invest in the church. If that's the end game, to to create a, a space that that the church can be a place. Uh, you know, to foster holiness better and more appropriately by listening to, okay, this is where people are in 2022. And this is, you know, these sort of things. And like, let's do, you know, like go after it, get after it. If it's just to have a conversation with the idea of, um, you know, like just participating more, it's like, who cares? Um, So I think if we're looking at it the first way, like what opportunities, challenges, like opportunity, challenge, holiness, holiness, you know, pursue that. How can I better serve my local community? Like how can I sacrifice and give for my church and my family such that like my children and my parish are, you know, giving, are becoming those places? How can I better serve like the pastor? I mean, most pastors are not most pastors can be like tough to deal with. Chaplains can be tough to deal with, but like, I think most are well-intentioned and also want this goal. And so if, if therein lies the challenge, like how do I invest locally? And I think this is the last thing I'll say on it and then I'll get off the, the topic. But I think part of like what the modern mind has, has done, and this is why I think like Jordan Peterson is super popular with certain people is that we, we automatically go to a universal, like if I need to fix the problem, I need, I need to like address it on a global level. Like I need like, um, yeah, it needs to be done for me. Whereas um, kind of like our individual particular responsibilities of things are kind of then like, well, you know, like climate change, like I'm going to keep driving my car, but you shouldn't. Or like, you know, it's like, well, maybe if we all made little efforts, it's not going to save everything, but it's going to, it's going to make a difference. It adds up. I think the same too with, with like holiness that like, if we make our little efforts, like, it adds up type thing. God's grace works that way. So I think therein lies the challenge, the opportunity, um, the ability to like exercise our role in the body looks different for husband, wife, children, young adult, priests, religious, but therein lies the beauty, this like complex nexus of like holiness where voices are heard in that way. And they were down to heaven ultimately, not to like a, a document. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, th I think that, um, yeah, just when reflecting upon this, I'm thinking about uh, the way in which Sacrosanct Chilium described the way that we partake of the liturgy, the way that laypersons partake of the liturgy, and the words used are participatio octuosa. So the way that that was often interpreted for the last, whatever, 65 years, has it been that long? Sweet Christmas. No, 55 years. Um, is you know, active participation, which has kind of led to a spirit of activism. And so in certain ecclesial settings, you'll find that people like don't think they're good Catholics until they're you know, like doing all of the things. Whereas I think the, the sense of that term, participatio oxuosa, is like, you know, it's, it's first an interior disposition. You, know, you lend your mind by prayer, your heart by devotion, and you image that in your body by adoration, oblation, sacrifice, etc. Um, and then when you are given to this liturgical act, this Eucharistic act, it shapes you, right? It makes you holy, like you said. And with that holiness, you're, you're conducted into the world as a missionary within your setting. But this is all like under the, what would you say, like um, under the aspect of God's love for you being particular. You're called to a particular life with a particular mission. And that doesn't mean being, you know, or living every life or conducting every mission. God might have plans for you, which are simple, which are small, which are modest, which are humble, but provided that you embrace those plans, they'll be awesome. And so it's not, you know, like we can get in the habit by consuming media of thinking kind of like, ah, church, bad, outrageous, I'm sticking around because I am holy. Um, when truth be told, you know, like that, that, that builds in us kind of passive dispositions. It's not like a participatio octuos, it's a participatio like non-octuos. And we're like, bah, 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 bah. when we have the capacity by God's grace to re-engage in the life of the church, you know, to love our parents, to love our brothers and sisters, to love our children, to love our parishioners, to love those to whom we are sent on this random preaching expedition and who cares town and who cares state, you know, it's like, we have those opportunities and God is giving us that grace. And within, like, within the setting where we're thinking about, you know, what it means to have a conversation about being on the way together, I think that um, we, we come up with the ideas, like our evangelical imagination is cultivated to the degree or extent that we're actually engaging in the life of the church. Because if we sit back and think like, well, what's the world doing? How much of that can we adopt, right? That's just, that's not the disposition. That's not the, the creativity that comes from sanctity. Um, yeah, so I think it's about exercising your agency, playing your part, and ultimately, like you said, becoming the saints whom we're destined to be. And the conversation of saints is engrossing, right? When you think about St. Benedict and St. Scholastica, they're chatting all through the evening, and then St. Scholastica, maybe it's time for her to go home, and she's like, I'm going to pray for a storm. And St. Benedict's like, don't do that. She's like, done already. And he's like, okay, I guess we're having another three hours of conversation, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's the conversation of saints, which ultimately ought to attract us, but we need to become saints in order to have those conversations, Dean. Yeah, we're coming to the end. So um, any final thoughts, final encouragements? Um, yeah, if you, if <laughs> the synod on synodality, uh, gosh, it's, it's a mystery to behold. <laughs> That's my thought. I do think, I do think that we ought to approach these sort of things with a bit of caution and not in the sense that they're like inherently evil or dangerous, but just asking good questions. Like, what's the end? What are we getting after? Um, how is this being done? You know, like, why basically it's not a bad thing or a wrong thing to ask why what's what's a foot here what you know because if we don't i mean the, the the flip is that if we don't do that then we actually can't engage in it you know so that's that's one side and the other side is to is to trust that like you know continue to to trust that the holy spirit's at work in guiding the church and though we may look around the world and be like what are you doing over there or over here or whatever um our our we we have to i think we ought to take um strength and and courage that we have like an agency in the church appropriate to our like vocation and that sort of thing and that our lord uses that to bring about our holiness others like the sanctification of the world so um there's goodness there for sure
Yep. There is indeed. All right. Thanks as always for listening to God's Planning. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like the episode, subscribe on YouTube or your podcast app, and leave a five-star review at your convenience. If you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, follow the link in the description or show notes. And there, you'll also find links to shop our merchandise and to get information for upcoming God's Planning events. So our prayers are for you. Please pray for us, and we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on God's Planning. <laughs>